This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to The Pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Just imagine that instead of paddling across some pristine wilderness lake in Canada, you're in Africa, paddling across one of their lakes. I'm Lawrence Gunther, and this is Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. I'll meet you in Africa. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily! Yes? What's the surprise today? All right, so... Did you know that just like North America, Africa also has its own Great Lakes? They actually have Great Lakes over there? I thought it was all dry and desert and, you know, Sahara kind of... Well, okay, so Africa has seven Great Lakes. Huh. Their names are Lake Albert, Lake Edward, Lake Kivu, Lake Malawi, Lake Tanganyika, Lake Turkana, and Lake Victoria. I've heard of Lake Victoria. That's where those big monster perch are. The Nile perch, 200-pound perch. 200-pound perch? Yeah, bigger than me. That's ridiculous. Whereas Canada shares the five Great Lakes with the United States. The seven Great Lakes in Africa are located in ten countries. Ten countries. That's a lot of politics. Africa is huge. Yeah. So these are Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Zambia, Malawi, and Mozambique. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, Africa's Great Lakes make up about 25% of the world's surface freshwater. Surface freshwater. Yeah. Well, surface freshwater is defined by the total surface area of the lake, but does not measure the actual amount of water in the lake. Okay. If you measure Africa's total freshwater located in their lakes, rivers, and underground, about 9% of the world's freshwater is in Africa. 9%. That's still a lot of water, right? That's still a lot. Yeah. In comparison, even though Canada is the second largest country in the world and has millions of lakes, only about 20% of the world's fresh water is located in Canada. 20%, so we have twice as much water as Africa. But you would think like Canada is just chock-a-block full of fresh water, and yet we've only got twice as much fresh water as as Africa, which we always think of as having no water. That's uh, other than like these little bottles that the elephants go into. It's crazy, oh my gosh. Yeah. Africa's Lake Malawi and Lake Victoria are two of the ten largest lakes in the world. Wow. Okay. Lake Superior, which Canada shares with the United States, is the largest freshwater lake in the world in terms of surface area. Yeah. But Lake Baikal in Russia is the largest lake in the world in terms of total amount of freshwater. It's really deep, I'm told. Like that's the Lake Baikal. Sup- yeah, it's super deep. It's super big, and it just has a you know, it just has a humongous amount of fishing. freshwater. I don't know about the fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, or fish there. Africa's seven Great Lakes are also the sources of Africa's three major rivers: the Nile, the Congo, and the Zambezi. Yeah, cool. In comparison, North America's Great Lakes drain primarily into the St. Lawrence River. Yay! Yeah. St. <laughs> Lawrence, my river. <laughs> Last fact: 
Well, 20 million people get their drinking water from North America's Great Lakes. Yeah. Over 50 million Africans get not only their drinking water, but their food as well from the Great Lakes. Wow. This number is also rising quickly due to population increases, climate change, war, and poverty. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's got to be put some strain on the old system there. Yeah. 50 million people getting their... And they're fishing for food, right? These aren't people going out and catching a fish and letting it go. These are people going out, catching a fish, bringing it to home, eat eating for it. dinner, yeah. 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 And, and, a, and a bucket of water for drinking, too. and Washing their hands. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And then with climate change, I mean, Africa's hot anyways. Yeah. And I, you know. And the amount of water you should, you must drink there in general. Yeah. And, and, you know, with all this pasture land, right, that the animals would be herded on, these nomadic herders, I mean, those. Those pasture lands are getting thinner and thinner, so they're moving closer and closer to the lakes too, I, I think, from what I hear. And that's putting more pressure on those freshwater lakes as well. Everyone, like lots of people are would talk about how Africa is a pretty poor continent. Yeah. But there are, like, there's some very rich places in Africa too. Yeah. Like Nigeria. It's like the world's riches in diamonds. Yeah, diamonds. You hear about the blood diamonds. Yeah. You hear these things, like, about Africa, the safaris and the animals being, you know, elephants in decline, lions in decline. And you hear about the Great Lakes. But you know what? I'd still like to go there. Yeah, I'd like to go to Africa. Like, and I would like to see the African cities too, because the architecture there, like, it's super advanced and super nice. Really? Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, it's not all just Sahara. It's not all just wilderness. They have some pretty crazy cities, too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk to someone. Someone who's there a lot. And uh, let's find out. Okay. Time for the bucket list. Thinking about taking a trip to Africa and doing one of those safaris? Why not take in the Great Lakes as well? Here's some bucket list information from Dr. Ted Lawrence himself. Ted, you've been to Africa. You worked there as a volunteer, as a young man. You've been back. Where is your favorite place to go in Africa? Oh, no. Uh, I hope all of my African colleagues aren't listening. Um, I have so many, so many places. Um, but one of my favorite towns is uh, Jinja, Uganda, which is the source of the Nile. Uh, it's the northern part of Lake Victoria, and it's a quiet town, and you can watch where Lake Victoria literally turns from a lake into the Nile River and starts flowing north uh, up into Egypt. And so it's, a, it's just a nice, quiet town, but uh, I've traveled all around Lake Victoria. Um, I've been to Lake Malawi, Lake Tanganyika, um, just some beautiful, beautiful areas, and it's not only the the lakes and the environment, but the people are so kind and so nice there. So, so what keeps you going back? I mean, uh, is it the food? Is it the companionship? The people? The 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 environment? I mean, what what draws you back there? Uh, it's a very complex question. I'm not sure. Uh, well, I am fairly sure, but it's multiple variables. You know, I fell in love with uh, Africa when I went um, to Senegal, West Africa. Uh, the people, the food, and the environment are all huge draws. Uh, my desire to continue working in Africa is because I've met so many uh, wonderful people, uh, passionate, dedicated people in the scientific communities and their families who have been so welcoming. Uh, and to go back to the food, 
the food is just amazing also. <laughs> but yeah, we, we've crafted such a nice scientific community with such passionate people working on such good issues. Um, that's part of it. Yep. Just being in touch with a great community and uh, good people and, of course, a beautiful environment. Uh, I've been on safari. I've been uh, on the lakes. Um, and I've been walking through uh, to some of the most beautiful plantations of um, uh, different fruits and vegetables and coffee and tea. And it's it's pretty amazing place. So if you showed up at that little town in Uganda that you mentioned, what, what would you see? What, would, what could people expect to find there? Paint us a picture. Well, well, it's a small, uh, it's a small grid-like town, uh, dusty streets uh, with little shops everywhere. People selling uh, peanuts and other street food. One of my straight favorite street foods is uh, something called a Rolex, like the watch. Um, but it's a fried egg wrapped in a, uh, a piece of uh, kind of like pancake bread with onions and um, tomatoes. Uh, the nice smells, the um, uh, and it's right next to the lake. And so as you're walking down to the lake, you're going to see markets on your left and your right, uh, both food markets as well as what we would consider a Walmart market where you can buy anything from buckets to knives to cookware. And when you walk down to the lake's edge is where you're going to see uh, the fishing boats uh, where people bring in the fish, usually early morning, uh, huge bucketfuls of a small sardine fish called daga or omena. It's um, it's a small silver fish that's one of the most most prolific fish in uh, Lake Victoria now. Uh, and you're going to see uh, boats that are used for transport, hauling charcoal from the shores to some of the islands, uh, as well as large boats just jam-packed with people and motorcycles and pots and pans going to islands and to different peninsulas. Uh, it's quite an amazing place and it's beautiful. And like I said, you can walk all around this town or take a motorcycle taxi to the source of the Nile or to a nice restaurant or a pub and have a nice cold beer and overlook the lake. Would, where would you be staying? There's a handful of uh, nice hotels that are, um, and, and of course you have to define nice depending on where you're from, uh, but uh, these, these hotels which um, – uh, I would I would call medium range uh, overlook the Nile specifically and you stay in a small uh, place called the Sunset Hotel and on your balcony you can overlook and at night if there's no moon you'll see the Daga fishermen who fish with um, lanterns and they they have kerosene lanterns and they float them on a bamboo structure and then you put out about five of those anchor them in the river and then you come around with your net and it attracts the flies, which attract the fish. And then you circle each of those lanterns with your net and pull up the daga and omena. And on a, on a moonless night, if there's, uh, say, hundreds of these lanterns uh, out there, it looks like a slow floating city in the middle of the lake or in the middle of the river. Wow. Do people, live, do, do people live on floating uh, boats like uh, junks like in China or are they all land-based? Uh, everyone's land-based, yeah. There's no, no floating um, living structures, but uh, there are some islands that uh, are pretty close to just basically a rock in the lake with um, a whole bunch of little uh, shacks on them where all the fishermen stay uh, so they have easy access to the lake. Is the swimming good? Uh, it can be. However, in the near shore where you don't have a lot of wave action, you can get schistosomiasis. <laughs> so 
Um, depending on where you are and how clean the water is, yeah, you do have to be careful. Uh, but if you're in the middle of the lake or, or where where it's not uh, calm water, yeah, you can dip in the lake certainly. So it's not it's not the it's not a beach type atmosphere, what you're saying. Yeah, there there are some nice beaches where a lot of people do swim um, and uh, hang out with uh, with beer or picnics. Um, but it's not as much of a uh, beach environment as you would think um, in our terms in North America. Uh, not lots of umbrellas and people getting suntans, but uh, more of a very active um, uh, people. You know, the kids are swimming, more picnics and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice, very pretty. Cost-wise, like what would it cost to stay there? Is it expensive, medium range, like equivalent to Canada? Oh, no, uh, vastly. It also depends on how you travel. Um, I'm, uh, I like traveling uh, on a shoestring. I like um, being um, outside of big hotels and staying in smaller uh, hostels or uh, bed and breakfast or something like that. Um, so you can get rooms for a very nice room for $20, um, $30 Canadian. Uh, foods you can get for just a few dollars if you're willing to be adventurous. Um, of course, you'd get it cooked or you can get street food for, you know, 70, 80 cents and have nice grilled meats right on the side of the road. Um, beer is a dollar. Um, transport is fairly cheap. Uh, also, it, it increases with um, how comfortable you want to be. So if you want a nice, comfortable car, you know, you won't be paying as much as you would for a taxi ride in, uh, say, Toronto. Um, but you can also jump in a bus with uh, 13 other people, some chickens in all their bags, and uh, you'll pay 40 cents to go the equivalent of, um, I don't know, let's say Windsor to Toronto. Wow. What about health issues? Uh, water, drinking the water, eating the food, you know, in terms of, you know, the stomach and all of that, tourista. And, and malaria, is there some inoculations you need to take before you go? Yeah, if you're going to travel, you have to get all of your shots uh, and vaccines and everything. So it's it's quite a – you have to have especially yellow fever. Uh, for malaria, you have to take a malaria prophylaxis, so either a weekly or a daily pill. Um, and uh, in East Africa, in most of that region you have, uh, malaria is pretty prolific. So you, you have to be pretty careful with that. Uh, our North American bodies often need some time to get uh, used to the food uh, and other other uh, issues like traveling. Uh, but water, you definitely want to be careful. Um, you don't want to drink any of the, the well water or the tap water. Uh, they, of course, the, the, our African colleagues over there, they, they're used to their own water. Um, but I, I'll, you know, I'll get bottled water or soda or beer um, to drink. Good old beer always saves the day in the end, doesn't it? <laughs> That's why you make beer, so you have a clean... Alcohol, clean, yeah. Clean drinking. Yeah. yeah. So, last question, I, I promise, on this topic. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we always hear about going on safari to Africa. People go to Africa to go on safari. And, and, and yeah. I'm not saying don't go on safari, but, I, but what I'm saying, in relation to the Great Lakes, what... What are sort of the top five, six things you want to see uh, about these Great Lakes, you know, in, in Africa? What, what, what are the things you'd regret not seeing if you came home and said, oh, man, I, I didn't go there? Well, there are a lot of national parks uh, all around the area, um, all, all around the African Great Lakes region. Um, 
it, it would take a long time to name them all, but those national parks that don't necessarily have the big animals, um, that don't have the gorillas, that don't have the, the lions, are some of the prettiest places in the world. Um, we just went to Murchison Falls uh, last November. Murchison Falls is in Uganda. And what it is is it's kind of a rift right in the, uh, in the escarpment, and it funnels the entire Nile coming out of Lake Victoria into about um, uh, maybe a 30, let's, let's say a, a 50 or 60 foot gap. And if you've never seen an entire Nile River go through a small gap and plunge down and because of the force come back up because of that force and create a whole rain shower area, you've got to see it. Wow. It is insane. Wow. Uh, it is, it's not well known and it is now one of my favorite waterfalls in the world. Um, but if you were to go there, you can also cross the river and go on safari and see we saw lots of um, lions and zebras and giraffes and elephants and everything. And then if you go to the lower Nile below that, of course, um, hippos and uh, crocodiles and, and other things. It's beautiful. The bird life everywhere along the, the river. So if you're a birder, go birding every chance you get. If you like mountains, there are mountains all over um, the African Great Lakes, because a lot of these are uh, volcanic in nature. So Lake Kivu, uh, Lake Victoria, um, there's Kilimanjaro, of course. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it is just incredible. And if you're a foodie and you like culture, go to small villages. Go to small villages and see people living. And it, it would be kind of odd, right? It would be like somebody coming to our cities and just looking at how we're living. Yeah. But it's different, right? It's different. It's a different culture. It's a different way of surviving. It's a different way of living. And it's, uh, it's calm. It's different. It's beautiful. Uh, and the people are so welcoming. So when you, when you see that culture, when you experience people, you get a whole new perspective on life. Um, and it really changes your perspective on, say, what we're dealing with in North America right now with all of our elections and our politics. Uh, it shifts um, your, your global view and how we deal with our problems. And I guess it's not like some of these major tourism hotspots that are, you know, where the local people are really focused in on how to extract as many dollars out of your pocket as possible, you know, because that's how they make their living is 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 selling things uh, to tourists. So, I mean, that, it, that sounds like tourism isn't a big part of their economy in many of these Great Lakes areas. Yeah, when you go to some of these uh, the larger cities, uh, where where a lot of the tourists and the expats uh, work or go, um, you can easily pay what you pay in North America for lodging, food, um, trinkets, um, art. But it's very easy, like I was just saying, to get out of the large cities and experience something completely different. Uh, but yeah, when, when you're going to when you're going on safari. You're paying a premium to see these beautiful protected areas, um, and you're you're being accommodated by people who do rely on the tourism economy. So there there are two worlds to see there. There's the the large cities, which are just like large cities anywhere. There's the tourism, which is just like tourism anywhere. You know, Niagara Falls and um, uh, the source of the Nile are two places where you're going to see a lot of people selling T-shirts and yeah. uh, trying to make money off of trinkets. And then you go to a small village and you've escaped absolutely every part of it, just like you would go to a small town somewhere in Canada or 
or the U.S. You, you know, nobody's trying to sell you anything. They're just have a nice little place where they're living. Wow. Okay. Here's my last last question. Bring it. Bring a pack rod, a, pa a pack fishing rod, or are they gonna? Are you gonna get yourself into trouble? I think it would be safe. Yeah. I think if you brought your own gear, uh, we especially because you're talking to me, I can get you in touch with all of the fishing experts on all of the African Great Lakes, <laughs> and they can tell you where to go and how to fish and what to do. So. Yeah, I think it would be certainly interesting to take your gear and uh, and fish. If you were in Lake Victoria, um, I don't know how, but it, you know, fishing for Nile perch would be fun. Yeah, um, there are tons of rivers everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know much about the fishing uh, personally, but I know a lot of people who do. Well, okay, I've pumped you for all my tourism information, but you know what? Good job, <laughs> Ted. I'm, I'm like thinking in my head now, man, I, I want to go. That's on my bucket list. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. What sort of things should you bring? What do you need to know? What do you need to be careful of? Here's some tips on traveling in Africa from Dr. Ted Lawrence. What sort of things would you bring with you if you're going there? Do you bring gifts? Do you bring uh, essentials, rain gear, you know, uh, mosquito repellent, a net for sleeping under at night? Yeah, you don't need to bring much. And um, I think there might be a misnomer often with, uh, with newer travelers, uh, but you can get anything you need over there. Um, almost anything that you need. I travel very light. Um, I travel with quick dry clothes, so I just have to take a couple pair. It depends on if I'm going to important meetings, et cetera, but you know, you have to take a suit or something. Um, you have to take your malaria prophylaxis and some mosquito repellent. Um, but everywhere you go, uh, there's going to be mosquito nets wherever you stay, um, especially any kind of touristy areas. Uh, they know that they don't want to get everyone uh, struck with malaria. Um, a headlamp or a flashlight um, is always good to have, just there's lots, a lot more power outages there. And sometimes if you're traveling off the beaten path, you're going to need it, uh, especially if you're going on safari. Even when you're staying at nice places in the, uh, in the parks, uh, they'll turn off uh, the generators or something like that at night. You don't need to take much more. Long sleeves, uh, take a hat, and then, um, of course, it, if it is the rainy season, uh, you might want to take an umbrella because if you take too much rain gear, uh, it's hot over there. And you, if you're covering yourself up with non-breathable <laughs> rain gear, then you're just going to be just as wet inside as you will be outside. <laughs> too much, too different than traveling. You know, if you figure out what you need to travel around, you know, North America or Europe, you just take the same stuff depending on the weather and uh, just really, really focus on the environment around you and not how comfortable you are all the time. Tipping, uh, use their currency or American dollars or Canadian dollars or, or or is there some sort of goods that they can't get that we could people can bring? There are higher value things. Usually, uh, usually branded products are pretty pretty prop, uh, popular, like Nike, um, you know, Adidas, nicer uh, shirts, things like that. If you were ever going to take a present to someone, uh, but you would have to. Um, oh, sweets also, nice, you know, candies or anything like that, usually for kids, et cetera. If you're ever in a situation where you go on a tour and you want a, uh, extra gratuity or something, you can give people something like that. Um, but for the most part, uh, just taking uh, – I've mostly dealt with U.S. currency 
and exchange it when you're there. Uh, you can use U.S. currency in some of the larger cities, but it's best just to get uh, just to get the local currency and um, do as the local do. Just, just yeah. use, use their currency. Yeah. No, don't be handing out American dollars, and they're, they're not going to be able to exchange them anywhere, anyways. If you're off the outside the main cities. Yeah, if you're outside the main cities, uh, you're, you've got to dig in, lean into uh, what the people are doing, take uh, currency, and make sure you get smaller currency because. If you if you're giving a hundred dollars to exchange, they're going to give you big bills. But if you go into a small market in the middle of nowhere and you hand somebody, it'd be like going to a small town, small bakery, and handing somebody a hundred dollar bill. Not every time they have you know change for yeah. all these big bills. So <laughs> you're going to end up with uh, a lot of bread. What about connectivity, like cellular, internet, things like that? Um. You uh, in today's day and age, with all the the phone technology, you can get uh, plans where you have international connectivity. Um, I think they're making it easier and easier. I usually just forgo that and um, make sure that I have my computer and I can. You can always connect at Wi-Fi at almost all hotels, even the really cheap ones that. Um, let, let me say inexpensive ones that I go to, even in smaller outlying villages, maybe not villages, but outlying towns will have internet and you can always go to an internet cafe. Um, when I'm going to Africa, if I'm not doing business at the time, I shut down all of my connectivity and just enjoy and take, make sure you take a great camera um, and get as many pictures as you can. Wow. But there is connectivity. You have yeah. Connectivity yeah. all over the place. You, sometimes you have to look for it and work for it a little bit harder uh, and Sometimes it's nice not to have any connectivity. All this talk of Africa got me thinking about my, my old friend, Zathania Matanga. I met him in Winnipeg. He was a professor there at the University of Winnipeg teaching English literature. He was born in Africa to a, a Zulu chieftain. He had 23 brothers and sisters. He had nine mothers, and he, this guy was huge. He was over 300 pounds, stood six foot seven, completely blind, and a true gentleman. I think what I loved about Zephania the most, though, was his just his gentle way and his love of family. I was invited over to his house a number of times, and uh, we would have these amazing feasts that always would start with his wife bringing a bowl of water, warm water, that we would wash our hands in, and then she would dry our hands. She insisted that she dried her hands with a towel, and then served us these amazing multi-course feasts. And Savannah would be eating more food, and you, you could not eat. If you did not eat, you insulted him, you insulted his family. I remember asking his daughters, he has three daughters, and they were all teenagers, and I said, wow, can you girls cook as good as your mom? And they said, oh, no, we don't cook. And I said, why? He says, we're never going to cook for men when we grow up. I thought that was pretty funny, you know, these girls born in Canada did not carry on these, these traditional African customs. I wonder what it would be like if we went to Africa and we saw these things and experienced these things and we judged them for their customs and their ways. I think we have to be open-minded, but I'm sure willing to try. I want to go to Africa. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. 
Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.